pandemic and uh, putting this out there for you guys who are stuck at home and uh, need something to do so uh, Jeff and I got together and we did uh, another movie podcast Uh, this time around it's uh, two movies that are somewhat relevant to the current state of things we did Contagion and 12 Monkeys Jeff and I are having a lot of fun doing these so there'll be a lot more coming down the line so enjoy right yeah we kind of had something different planned and through text we were like maybe this would be something a little bit more interesting um contagion is a movie uh uh, i saw in 2011 when it came out um you know i was kind of actively avoiding this movie even though it was directed by steven soderbergh someone who i I really like but this kind of movie is the kind that really gets under my skin and viruses, people getting sick, stuff like that. And, man, I, I just, I really love the tone and the point of view of this movie. Like, but, yeah, I mean, the whole tone of the movie is very matter-of-fact. There's not a lot of hysteria, and I feel like it's meticulously researched and feels really authentic and really possible. And that was one of the most disturbing elements to the movie. It's like, this, this could happen in some ways. It kind of is. I mean, obviously, millions and millions of people aren't dying. But this is happening. There are doctors out there in the field researching, trying to figure out how this started, how it's spreading, where it's going. And I really like that it's not a hysteria movie. It's just very matter-of-fact. Yeah, it has the vibe of uh, almost a police procedural, like when they have these like murder movies where, um, you know, like, for example, Zodiac had this like procedural vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And this kind of remind me of that, except it's about uh, infectious disease. Right, yeah. And, like, it's, it's not scored like a horror movie. You have Cliff Martinez, one of the, one of the best, I think. And it really, like, like you said, the, the score kind of propels the movie and it has this, like, procedural sort of vibe to it and not this, like, downer, grim, everyone's dying kind of, kind of feel to it. And you see this, like, the events go out, like, from the point of view mostly of, like, doctors and people working in the field and like um you don't get a lot of like i mean it's there with the matt damon character and you don't get a lot of like hysteria panic empty stores things like that you get shots of that but it's mostly all about how something like this is combated and i mean i really just loved it this is my second time seeing it i it was like seeing it with fresh eyes i hadn't seen it in so long and i really really enjoyed it i think it's one of soderbergh's best films yeah so let's uh just real quick the movie came out in 2011 uh directed by steven soderbergh who you will know from sex lies and videotape 2018's unsane have you seen that i did um pretty good i I thought it was pretty good again 
Soderbergh's kind of a hard director to pin down. Like he'll make, you know, something like Sex Lies and Videotape, and you know, win an Oscar for Traffic, and then he'll go and shoot a shoot a movie on on his iPhone. Yeah, and then he did Oceans, the Oceans trilogy. Yeah, that was on TV uh, yesterday, and those are efficient movies. I, I don't really love those movies. Like, they really don't do it for me, but they're slick, they're well-made, they're well-acted, and, and they're fun. Yeah, I, I enjoyed those. I, I, feel, I always feel yeah. like whenever I fly like that, um, one of those is on the, uh, the inline like, movie network you know, at some point. Yeah. But the, right. the, the writer, yeah. the screenplay writer was uh, Scott Burns. Burns and Soderbergh had worked together before on The Informant. That's what it was. Uh, I really like that movie, too. Yeah. That's actually true, that bit, bit of information I put out there. That's not uh, disinformation or anything like that. Okay. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the, uh, it's an ensemble cast, uh, similar to mm-hmm. Oce- the Oceans trilogy, you know, which is an, ens- an ensemble cast. This movie has uh, Matt Damon, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, Lawrence Fishburne, Jude Law, Kate Winslet, and last but not least, Marion Cotillard. The uh, French mm-hmm. actress, and um, yeah, yeah, she uh, seemed to be in like every movie from like 2009 to 2013. Yeah, she was in in uh, Inception, oh. another film I really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, I, I love love that movie. But yeah, this movie doesn't focus on any. I feel like everyone gets an equal amount of screen time, and you know, you open it up the movie it's day two and you just see Gwyneth Paltrow red-nosed hand in a communal peanut uh jar at a bar and right off the bat like I had to pause the movie and like I think I'm gonna need to have a drink while I watch this (laughs) and (laughs) there's one scene man you show in that just in the first two minutes you you see just how uncontainable something like this is She's sick. She's got her hands on the nuts that someone else is going to eat. Uh, hands her credit card to the bartender. Bartender takes it, touches like I, immediately. I was like, "Holy shit! It's really just that easy." Yeah, basically. And right off the bat, like the movie is is just like you know up up and running, and um, you know within like fifteen minutes, you're seeing like a, an autopsy. <laughs> on that character that the movie opens on. And I had to check. I was like, this is PG-13? Really? It was I, a I PG-13 was movie? Yeah, I was shocked. I mean, it's PG-13. You see Gwyneth Paltrow get her head sawed open. Wow. Uh, and then there's like a shot of a dead kid in his bed. And yeah. I thought that was like, would be an immediate R. I mean, it's, it's a really disturbing shot. Huh. But uh, nope, PG-13. <laughs> wow. I think today... That movie probably would have got an R rating, though. Yeah, I, I feel like it would have. Or, I mean, I guess there's not a lot of like language, or it's not a particularly violent or gory movie. So, but it, it is disturbing. And, uh, but yeah, whatever. It's not not that important. It was sort of a surprise. Also, just the the coloring, like the way the muted sort of uh, washed out color of the film is uh, it adds to this dreariness to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like Soderbergh does this a lot, like different aspects, like he'll shoot in different colors. I think you notice like in traffic 
when they shoot in like Mexico, it's sort of got a dustier look to it. And then when they're shooting like the DC stuff, it's got a kind of cold, slick look to it. There's a little bit of that going on. I noticed like stuff the had parts of the movie had like a gold sort of palette while, uh, Stuff involving like Matt Damon and that again it was like a colder, drearier feel. Yeah, the thing with Matt Damon, all right, the Matt Damon character and Gwyneth Paltrow are uh, they're married, and um, she stepped outside of the relationship when she was on her business trip. It seems like, and uh, right, yeah, in Chicago. So she further spread this uh, this this disease through um, probably bodily fluids, I imagine. Yeah, I, I think it it kind of like the coronavirus is like a surface uh, disease. You, you, it lives on surfaces, uh, and moves really quick, but it's not it's not airborne. But even so, it's not airborne. It just shows how something like this again just spreads like wildfire, and people are scrambling uh, to contain it. What do you think of Gwyneth Paltrow as an actress? <laughs> um. She's, I mean, sometimes it's, it is hard to separate the person because I know, like, she's got that that goop blog oh or whatever God. it's called. Fuck that, yeah. And it's just the most obnoxious, privileged white girl shit yeah, I've yeah. ever seen in my life. So, I mean, that shit's goofy. But all that aside, um, she's fine. I, I don't think she's exceptionally great in anything, but I don't think she's terrible in anything either. She's just kind of there. Yeah, and, I, uh, I never, I never was a fan of hers. I always felt like she has only like one or two facial expressions that she uses, and there's yeah. like she's kind of the same in every film. Like, she's, there's no depth to any of her abilities. I feel like. Yeah, I basically agree with that. I gotta say though, she she she's pretty good in this. There's that shot. Another thing, like someone like she's struggling to get up and make coffee. And she's trying to go about her routine, but she's, she's dying and she doesn't know it. That, that, that scene was kind of terrifying where it's like, you know, I think it's day three. And it's just a shot, like, looking up at her face and she's just confused. Yeah. And then she collapses. It was a really disturbing scene. Well, you know, before we started recording, uh, I told you about when I almost died from an infection. And uh, that, that actually felt very uh, realistic. You know, I... I telling you the story about how I got cellulitis on my face mm. and um, mm -hmm. the day after I guess when I contracted it it uh it, it hit me really hard and I was I came home from work made it made an appointment to go to the doctor right away and I was like laying in bed sweating and feverish and the concept of making dinner was like I'm like oh I should probably eat something but I couldn't even put two and two together to do that you know what I mean Right, yeah, and I, I think that's why that scene is so disturbing. It's very relatable. Yeah, you can picture yourself there doing it, and um, yeah. So after that, like you see, there's another great shot in that movie. In the movie where he, Matt Damon goes to pick his son up, and his son touches the door, and the camera just lingers on the door just for like an extra couple seconds. It's a really effective shot, and. Again, there's a there's a scene with a guy who drove Gwyneth Paltrow home from the airport, and he's on the bus, and it just shows him coughing and touching everything. I, this movie really makes you notice those little things, and how much 
you actually touch throughout your day and how many people you could potentially infect. Yeah. No, it's scary, you know. And uh, for those of you out there who are listening to this as this episode came out, uh, we're in the middle of the coronavirus uh, pandemic here in the United States. And uh, yes. for those of you who listen to this episode in the future, um, if we're all still alive, uh, you know, I hope everything turns out okay. <laughs> but, I, I second that. Uh, yeah. Um, speaking, of, speaking of that, uh, has your ex- what are your experiences? I mean, we, we selected this film to talk about because it is kind of like one of these, um, you know, analogous situations to what's going on right now in some ways. So are you experiencing any of this stuff like right now in LA? Yeah, to some degree. And I think we talked about this a little bit, like you're starting to look out your window and see things that, uh, you see in a horror movie, an apocalyptic horror movie, but you're seeing it out your window or you're seeing it in your neighborhood or, you know, like, uh, going to like a Trader Joe's and it's, you know, empty. Not, not until the people, but shelves are empty. You see that huge freezer that's always stocked. It's depleted. People are a little bit ruder to each other, dirty looks, things like that. People in masks. It's, it's surreal. It's very surreal. Um, bars, restaurants that are usually busy, they're either closed or, or empty. Uh, everyone working from home. You know, where I work, I can't work from home, but a lot of people can. So, like, you know, the office is empty. It's, uh, it's very surreal. Less traffic, things like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I got to be you? honest, man. It's like here, uh, I don't see that much of a difference, like out here in the neighborhood. You know, there's um, like the, the local like convenience stores and supermarkets have everything. Everything's cool. It's like there's, you know, the, the mad dash for uh, toilet paper. <laughs> Very strange. Doesn't seem to have affected anyone out here. Um, in the city, uh, like I didn't, I didn't go into the office on Friday. But on Thursday, I noticed Me neither. That, you know Broad Street was broad. I'm sorry, Broad Street, Broadway was uh, was was dark. They canceled plays. Um, that's kind of like when things hit me about how I started noticing that everything was being canceled, like school, all that kind of shit. And uh, yeah, and that's when I decided that I should probably just go home after work on Thursday night. So I just went home and stayed. You know, a lot of people weren't going in on Friday. Departments, uh, some sections of my office hadn't actually uh they'd already decided to work at home on on thursday so they weren't there on thursday you know at all so um i haven't gone into any kind of whole foods or trader joe's for a while so uh Mm. but the reports Um, i get from people is that these kind of like it's more like the the middle class like white people are the ones who are freaking out the most about this stuff like they're the ones who are uh donning masks and buying up all the toilet paper and that kind of stuff. And, uh, I would totally uh, (laughs) agree with that. From from, from my point of view, that's, that's what it seems like. And I mean, people stocking up on bottled water. It's like, well, you you know, you have a sink, right? Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And, uh, now like sales of bidets are going through the roof. Hey, I mean, that's actually an environment. That's an environmentally sound, uh, decision to make, I think. 
Yeah, I uh, I remember my first trip to Japan, and like I was like, wow, these things are in, all, all over the place. These are great. I decided that when I move into my new place, I'm going to get a bidet. I think I, that's the takeaway from a lot of this stuff. Yeah, we we, we have them at the office. People love it. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, that's yeah, cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it is. You know, you got to work with younger people, man. They're they're they got the finger on the pulse of what the fuck is going on. Really. That's that's pretty yeah. uh, progressive, man. And, you know, you guys out there in California are way ahead on this kind of stuff. That's cool. Yeah, you know, like, you know, you know how we do it out here. <laughs> Gender neutral bath- bathrooms and everything. Yeah, that, I mean, they have well, that out here too. You know that that don't. You know, I'm that's sure. not Just I'm out sure. in L.A., man. But yeah, definitely. You know. Right. Um, but yeah, there is a sense of, of of panic, and things seem very strange, and this whole idea of social uh, distancing and wash your hands. I mean, that's kind of been my reality for a, a while now. Yeah. I've always been very worried about getting sick and a bit of a germaphobe and, and a bit of a loner too. So I don't really yeah. go out a lot. So it's kind of, it's kind of business as usual for me, but a little bit more extreme, a little bit more cautious to go outside. Um, <clears throat> like I, I think we talked talk earlier, uh, society collapse or people's behavior in a time like this is, is really, frightening too the movie kind of touches on on that a little bit and one of the more interesting characters in the movie to me was um jude law's character yeah the blogger and yeah and uh it has the movie has that great line that blogging is just graffiti with punctuation (laughs) yeah totally uh i love i loved that because it, it it works for everything like, oh, no matter what you blog about, no matter what side you're on, 90% of it is bullshit. And I think he's supposed to be like an Alex Jones type. And yeah, I could see that. I, it, I wouldn't immediately have drawn that conclusion. But, yeah, I could see him being like an Alex Jones, like, you know, fringe, you know, guy. And he's also selling bullshit. Yeah. You know, Alex Jones sells these, like, brain supplements, like, keep you from becoming a gay frog or whatever fucking weird shit that guy's into. Uh, he, this guy's selling has stock in this company that claims to be the cure for the virus. And it turns out to be bullshit. And I couldn't help but like think of like an Alex Jones type. And then in some ways I'm, I mean, I'm glad he's not on social, able to be on social media, uh, media and spread his bullshit in a time like this. Yeah. I can imagine, man. And, that actually uh, d- demonstrates that tendency you were talking about where people to become like unruly, like where there's scenes in the film where there's that thing, it's a uh, forsythia, the, the, um, holistic, yeah, yes, that was the holistic, uh, alleged holistic cure. And there was like the, you know, people acting like savages trying to get it, breaking into houses, like all this stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah, and another like really crushing scene where the the pregnant girl is kind of friends with uh, Jude Law's character yeah. in line waiting to get it, and then you know the, it, it erupts into chaos, and then a couple scenes later she's just begging for Priscilla, and then she's dead. Yeah, and you don't really see a lot of remorse coming from the from Witty, that was Jude Law's character's name. Uh, not a lot of remorse from him. And he gets rich and profits off of this disaster. I think that a lot of, um, you know, even putting that back to our current scenario here is uh, 
once again, similar to like a zombie apocalypse, it's like the people. I'm 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 more nervous about people than I am about the actual d- diseases. I think, you know, in this case, yeah. I mean, if we had an Ebola uh, pandemic, that would be a completely different situation. But sure, I mean, what we were talking about earlier about this being like a, a, a flu, you know, and people recovering, and it's not the end of the world. You know, peop all people need is that green light to descend into madness and savagery, and that's like a tendency that I see that's very alarming to my, to me, you know, people just losing their shit over not really a very extreme situation. I mean, it's extreme because we don't have to deal with a lot of stuff like this, but it's in the bigger picture. It's not a very extreme situation that we have. Well, for now it's, it's, it's treatable. You can come, yes, you can die from it, but it is treatable. You can come back from it. You can recover. Um, but you're still seeing like this is the end of the world mm-hmm. on social media, which I, I said earlier, I'm trying to stay off of because it's just a 24 hour anxiety attack and it's yeah. not good for anyone. And, you know, uh, or in the movie, I think, wh- do you remember what the mortality rate in the movie was something like 20%? Yeah, it was like, it, how, like it, it was like a very high, like mortality rate in the film. Like it was killing people. Like basically, if you got it, it seemed like you died, except for uh, the ones that were immune. Because like we were talking earlier about how the the kind of progression of these infectious diseases is that a certain percentage of people die, a certain percentage of people contract it and recover, and a certain percentage are immune, and that goes all the way back to high school uh genetics you know what i mean when you study about like uh, evolution and how things evolve that's kind of like uh step one in the process of that and uh but but basically in this and contagion in the film matt damon his character and i believe his son or his daughter or someone was they were immune to it he was definitely immune to it there was some question about if she was immune to it there's that scene where he's talking to kate winslet's character and he says, well, he, she's got my genes. She must be immune. And she goes, well, she only has half. Right. So, and it's, he, like, his story becomes about protecting his daughter and, and keeping her safe. And so I'm not really sure she was ever immune. Uh, I don't think that's ever made clear. Yeah. But Damon and, was, though. And, and that's the thing. It's yeah. like, you know, there's, he's completely immune. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow dies, you know. And I'm not yeah, sure, so, was there anyone who contracted it and didn't die and recovered that they showed in the film? I don't think, no, I don't, I don't think so. Um, that would have been kind of interesting, but, you know. Yeah, because uh, I think that's closer place. to reality, is that, that there would be some people that would recover from it, you know. Right, I mean, yeah. It's a very realistic movie and is very meticulously researched, but it is, you know, still a movie. I think, I don't know if you've heard, but this is like in the top 10 of iTunes uh, downloaded movies. It's one of the most torrented movies right, right now. now. Yeah. yeah Everyone that. is watching this. And I think it's, I think it's freaking people out even more. <laughs> and people got to remember, like as, as factual based as it is, it is a movie for entertainment purposes. And also, and, just the disease is a completely different disease. You know what I mean? Right. Well, there are some similarities. You know, like again, a lot of misinformation about where this thing came from. And they see this, and they think, "Well, oh, this is how it happened." 
was a bat and a pig, and someone slaughtered the pig, and the blood from the pig got in the chef's hands and shook going to Falthro's hand. You know, like that's not exactly how the uh, how the coronavirus happened. I, I'm not even really 100 percent sure how it happened or where it um, ex- exactly, but. It did originate in, in Wuhan, right? Yeah, and it had to do with the wet markets, which is where a lot of a lot of viruses jump species, apparently. Right. And uh, um, you know that that's a huge problem, a huge public health problem that needs to be addressed because this is not the first time that a um, you know a virus like this has jumped species, and it's all been traced right. back to these like uh, wet markets that are in China and other parts of Asia. Right, and that, that's another thing, aspect this movie touches on is the politics behind it and trying to fudge numbers and, and deflect responsibility, saying, no, this didn't come from us. This isn't our, uh, this isn't our fault. The movie touches on it. And again, it, I think it scares people because you're seeing that in, in real life right now. Yeah, and, yeah, the big time, especially in the political climate we have right now. Right. I mean, I can't believe I'm seeing political arguments about this on uh, on social media. Like, this is uh, this is Trump's fault. This is a Democratic panic. This is a hoax. This is this is fucking insane, dude. Yeah. Like, uh, it, it, it's maddening in so many ways. I think our president's response to it was horrible. Um. But people saying all these deaths are on his hands—it's a little extreme. I mean, yeah. I mean, ever ever since that dude took office, there's been like this extreme, um, like a left and a right extremity that are both completely unreasonable. You know what I mean? And absolutely, logic is being lost within those two extremities. Like, there's just completely illogical stuff that's going on on the on the far left and far right, and. Right. To and be he, like, oh, it's yeah. this guy, it's all, all these blood is on his hands. You know, as much as I hate Donald Trump, I don't think that the Same. blood of everyone that's perished, perished as a result of the coronavirus is fully on his hands. You know what I mean? You know, yeah, uh, just, of course not. You know, there's just a lot of histrionics and, you know, and, and it's not really doing anyone any good. It's just making people more angry, creating more uh, chaos and paranoia. And I think that at a time like this, there really needs to be more uh, clear thought and people need to be more composed in how they conduct themselves. And I feel like people are doing the polar opposite. Yeah. Most people are losing their fucking minds, you know, and, and that's, yeah. that's not good. Yeah. I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I was very scared when this all started. Uh, I've, you know, basically been home for the last four or five days. I've calmed down a lot. Things aren't going to complete shit out there, so I, that's the best thing to do is, uh, you know, stay calm. Obviously, yeah. like um, it, it would be cool the if other, there were I'm like sorry, zombies. It would be cool if the if people were turning into zombies. Like that would be way cooler if like everyone that died turned into a zombie. You know, that would be such a better apocalypse to die in. Yeah, because you know, <laughs> than, than something like this. I mean, also, too, this movie, like, you think about it, it takes place over 135 days and 26 million people die. Um, uh, we're talking about the movie Contagion, yeah. Yeah, like, so obviously it moves a lot quicker. I think um, by day four in the movie, it's like, it's just everywhere and people are freaking out. And by day 14, 
another scene that was highly disturbing, Kate uh, Winslet's character, the doctor, who's sent out in the field to, uh, to try to figure out what's going on, where it originated. And she's like the very practical character you think you're going to follow throughout the film. Now she's the one saying, don't touch your face. People touch their face two to 3,000 times a day. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if that sounds true, but it's also, uh, like, wow, holy shit, that's fucking crazy. But you're with this character, and she has it together, and you think she's going to be the one. But she still wakes up on the 14th day of the outbreak with that cough, and you kind of feel that terror. Like, it, it's very believable. Yeah. I'm trying to think how I would react if I wake up in the middle of the night tomorrow coughing, like, oh, shit, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, well, chances are you're not going to die, though. That's the thing. In, in right, and in this, yeah. You, you're, it's almost like your death warrant if you have that cough. Right, exactly. But you're with her, you believe, like, and her down just saying, oh, no, 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 while she's, like, checking her, her temperature. Um, there's a real, a, a very... A real moment, like you could see, you put yourself in her shoes in that scene, and it's devastating. And then, again, a few scenes later, she's she's gone. There's that really terrifying scene in a hospital. You just see all these people, like in this makeshift hospital, just dying. And you put yourself there, like you think this this could happen. This could be me. The one thing that I thought was odd about how they disposed of the bodies was they didn't incinerate the bodies. Right, yeah. You know, how did they get rid of them again? They just bury them in a mass grave, which is like, <laughs> that's kind of fucking crazy too, I think, too. You know what I mean? It's like, typically yeah, I, uh, yeah, I feel that's... contaminated bio-waste like that gets burned. Right. Um, there, yeah, there was a few things. I thought uh, Marion Cotillier's character, uh, that whole like the, the kidnapping part of it felt a little out of place in this movie. Yeah, that's the one like, flaw. They, like, I don't think that that was some. Uh, there's already enough drama in the film, you know. I don't think you needed that side story really to go anywhere. Right. Yeah, that was like the one aspect of it that that rang false. And like, you know, this this all could have been cut or. Uh, you know, avoid it altogether. It was it that totally it didn't totally work for me, and I find myself kind of forgetting about that angle of the movie. And like, they'd go back to it and be like, "Oh, oh yeah, this." Yeah, there were too many. The, the that's stuff. that's the one criticism I had is there might have been too many storylines in the film. Yeah, and with a, like, I think it's under two hours. Like, it handles all those stories fairly well. The movie moves at such a a great pace. And, uh, you know, it doesn't linger on any one thing too long. It moves really, really quickly. And uh, probably going to move a little bit quicker without that, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. And another, um, I found the whole lottery aspect of it uh, pretty interesting. Like, what would it look like if a vaccine was made for something, you know, okay, like coronavirus? What's, what's it going to look like when a vaccine comes out for that next year? How is that going to be handled? How is it going to be distributed? And in this movie, it's a lottery. If you're born on March 30th, you know, come, come now, and then so on and so forth. Every day they pick a, a day of the month of the year. I thought that was interesting, and I wondered if that would, how that would work in reality, how we're going to get this vaccine to people with the coronavirus. Yeah, that's a good question, and uh, just... 
you know, it, the reality of it is that it would be done by some pharmaceutical company who would love the opportunity to make a ton of money producing this on, vaccine at a, on an incredibly large quantity and be able to license it to other companies overseas. You know what I mean? And yeah, uh, oh yeah, it's like you know there 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 would be the looming you know specter of capitalism driving all this stuff just like it is now on some level you know what i mean like once, sure. once there's a you know a vaccine developed some someone will have the license for it and it'll be you know handled through insurance companies and all this other bullshit and once again poor people are the ones who are going to suffer you know that's kind of yeah, how they're the ones who're going to get get fucked that's how it works in this country you know uh, if you if you're poor you're fucked you know yeah are you are you a flu shot guy? Do you have do you get the flu shot? I don't. I don't either. Yeah, I did once because I felt like they kind of forced it on me. Yeah, I don't. I don't get. I don't uh, take. Uh, I generally don't. I, I I believe in keeping my immune system really strong. And if there was like, obviously, I'm reasonable though. Like when I had the staph infections and whatnot, I took I took antibiotics. You know, but. Right. In general, I just uh, I'm not one of those Purell guys, you know. Um, no, I am. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I I have. Uh, I mean, just my day to day life. I I uh, use a lot of like tea tree oil type cleansers, you know. And um, hmm. you know, there's like natural antiviral or antibacterial stuff that I use. Not antiviral, but antibacterial products. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that I, I employ. You know, like white vinegar like things like that and um mcdonald's pizza yeah you know stuff like healthy that. healthy stuff put in your body yeah. but i mean like yeah. white vinegar i use like that to disinfect some stuff like i have uh you know from training like i go you got like your your shin guards and gloves and things like that uh wraps and i use white vinegar uh solution to clean that stuff because it's antibacterial and then when i come home i, ch- I shower with like soap that's antibacterial soap you know, so there's, mm. it's already like part of like, and I, you know, and even at the gym, as soon as I'm done training, I like, you know, wipe down all my shit. I use, you know, fucking cleanser that they have there. And, um, you know, there's products out there that can help you, you know what I mean? To keep, to keep things at bay on a day to day basis, you know what I mean? But sure. With all that though, I still believe that your, your immune system has to be activated somehow. Like you, you can't, um, you can't just kill everything that's attacking you. You have to like your keep your immune system healthy, and by keeping it healthy, right. it has to develop things, develop ways of, of dealing with this stuff. And that's kind of like how that's why I don't take I don't go for flu shots. You know, I mean, in this case, I probably will get a flu shot when it gets developed because it's been such a. I think it would be irresponsible of me this time around to not get a flu shot. But for all the other stuff, I just I just let my body handle it. Yeah, I'm with you 100 percent on that. I am not a flu shot guy. Uh, I like I don't really get sick a lot. I do keep my hands clean. Uh, you know, I take care of myself in, in that regard. And social distancing has been my fucking norm forever. So, um, but you you mentioned wiping down the stuff at the gym. That that's you'd be surprised how many how how often people don't do shit like that, and it's infuriating to me. Yeah, well, the kind of gyms I go to, everyone does that shit because it's like, you know, staff infection center, man, like sweat, 
and like yeah. contact, like, you know, dudes, like, you know, contact, like skin to skin contact is like what you, what, what it's all about there. You know what I mean? Like you're like fucking grappling and you're throwing punches and sparring with people and holding pads and all this kind of stuff. And that there's a lot of skin on equipment contact. Right. And you know, every, after every session, they, they clean the mats and you know, it's like, uh, cause the, the last thing you need is to have one guy get a staph infection and everyone's got it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, totally. I guess at a regular uh, gym, like, at a regular gym, I yeah. see people just being fucking animals about sweating all over shit. It's disgusting and it's inconsiderate, and I, it gives me stuff like that. Really gives me anxiety when it seems just someone like sweating real hard, and then they just walk away yeah. and they leave without showering. <laughs> uh, stuff like that <laughs> gives me anxiety. Stuff like the other day, I got a sandwich, and the guys. He's like, make, he hands it to me with his hand that doesn't have a glove on. He's got a glove on one hand, but he's fucking hands in the sandwich with his bare hand. He was probably like scratching like, his asshole with that hand that he handed you the sandwich. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, you fucking piece of shit. I just looked at it for a while. I'm like, should I eat this? What'd you do? Uh, spoiler, spoiler alert, I, I ate it. Oh, and I'm fine. Dude. No. I, I, was like, I was like, if I fall back into this pattern of like being like, afraid to eat go out you know i it, it got a little bad <laughs> uh a while ago where like i was very like, worried about getting sick and things i ate you know like i got over it um and i was like i, I can't fall into that dark hole again and uh i eat the fucking sandwich and i'm fine <laughs> oh that's good i'm glad to hear it man yeah well I'll, I'll keep you updated this was the thursday so you know i'm not sunday now so like, i think i'm i think i'm in the clear but I want to go back to that place and fucking be like, dude, what's your problem? Like, <laughs> just go back I, and like, just murder fucking, him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, just beat the shit out of him in the parking lot. And he's thinking, what did I do to deserve this? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even remember you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, back to anxiety. There's that scene in the movie I want to point out where Elliot Gould. Elliot yeah, yeah. Gould mm -hmm. is, I forgot uh, that he was even in, man. Like, Elliot Gould's great, yeah. Yeah, he's great. Again, like not a huge part, but he's the one who grows the vaccine in a laboratory to, uh, you know, and eventually that's where the the, uh, the, the cure comes from. Um, that scene with him, he's like, like at a table, like I think he's having a drink or eating something, looking around and looking at all the things people are touching, the bartender, all the things he took, like, and you just kind of see this slow, like dread crawl across his face. Yeah. It was a... Uh, a very effective scene and so was I really again like the structure of this movie it starts on day two not day one and then it ends well it doesn't end at day 135 I think it's the end but then like the epilogue is day one and then it shows you the very origins of what of how this all happened yeah with the banana I thought that peel was, and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah I thought it was a really creative effective way to, to, to structure the movie and it was a great ending. And uh, I mean, overall, this is one of Steven Soderbergh's better movies. And even in the midst of all the chaos that's going on in our world right now, I really enjoyed watching it. It was scary at first, and I think by the end it was a little tipsy. Uh, but a really, really excellent movie. Now I got a big question, a burning question. is If you were uh, 24 years old right now, and you watch this movie, uh -huh. 
would you think that this movie was somehow unfairly singling out a culture for being the uh, reason for the almost uh, erase eraser erasure of humanity on this planet? Do you think there that you'd be funny? Would you be triggered by that? It's funny you mention that. Yeah, (laughs) I've never been triggered by anything, so I don't think. Uh, I think more like logically and then fact-based about things. I do remember um, when this movie came out uh, in 2011 before really we got in this culture of, of, uh, I guess, I don't even know what you want to call it. I hate to say the over, overly PC culture that we're living in, so I, I, but this is before the, all that. And I do remember there being like, an, uh, an article or something claiming this movie to be racist or uh, culturally insensitive. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, I think I even wrote, wrote down a note about like, like, I wonder if this would slide today. No, no. Even though almost the same thing is, happening. even though it reflects, re- exactly re- re- reflects reality. And I see a lot of articles about xenophobia popping up and which I guess is valid. Sure, but I mean, I don't think that's anyone's concern right now. I think everyone's concern is staying healthy and, and their loved ones staying healthy. And, you know, again, it's just, just the way this is being politicized is, is weird and, and gross to me. Yeah, I everyone agree. involved. I agree with that. Yeah. But yeah, this movie comes out today, maybe, I mean, maybe the virus. It originates in like uh, fucking Florida or something. I, I, I don't know. They would change it to have that happen <laughs> where there'd be a wet market in South Florida and it would be completely <laughs> the, the fault of like uh, America. You know what I mean? Like in the States. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> general thoughts, I think this is a great movie. Really well cast, well acted, uh, moves at a great pace. It's wonderfully directed. I, I'm, this movie is kind of forgotten until this coronavirus thing. And now people are remembering it and, and, and um, good for the movie. I, I think it's great. It, it, it should, it should be seen. I hope Steven Soderbergh just keeps, keeps pumping them out. In a scale of one to five, what do you give this movie? I would give it uh, four and a half. I, I'm with you on that. I'm with you yeah. at four and a half. I, I would also give it a four and a half. You know, it's a, it's like yeah. for what it is, I think it's like almost a perfect film. Totally, totally agree. And like, it's great when you see like a, a great filmmaker just nailing it like that. I mean, like, like we said earlier, he's really experiments. You never know what you're going to get. I mean, he made like a, a, an action movie with a, a UFC fighter. I'm not um, sure what film did that you ever is. see? Oh God, I can't remember what the hell it's called. But she's also, she got into acting after that. She's in like the Fast and the Furious movies. Um, oh, uh, you're talking about Ronda Rousey and it's like, uh, is it like Mark Wahl- Wahlberg in that as well? Um, no, this was with uh, Michael Fassbender. Oh, okay. And uh, what's his name? Um, Ewan McGregor's in it. I'm surprised you haven't seen this. I'll have to look it up. So next up on the docket is uh, 12 Monkeys. And um, as you were mentioning before, this is has some similarities to Contagion. However, it takes a uh, markedly different approach to the narrative. Right. I mean, 
basically saying, saying more extreme in, in, in 12 monkeys, 5 billion people die. Well, and, most of humanity dies, it seems like. In, uh, right. They say 1% survive and, and yeah. those survivors go underground. So it is a, 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 an apocalyptic movie, more so the contagion dealing with a virus. But I mean, that's where the similarities end. This, this is, um, you know, a very much a science fiction film. Yeah. Involving and, time travel uh, and, uh, you know, um, it, memories. Which is totally possible. <laughs> time travel is possible. Um, yeah. Hey, maybe, maybe yeah. it is. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that'd be fucking awesome. But yeah, this came out in 1995. Terry Gilliam. Um, this is sort of like the beginning of me becoming like a film fanatic. Uh, my first three directors that I absolutely loved were David Cronenberg, uh, Roman Polanski, and Terry Gilliam. Yeah. And I think, because I could, that's when I started to notice, like, oh, notice links between films these guys have made. Uh, I started to see, like, you know, a style. Like, oh, that looks like a Terry Gilliam shot. And this movie is, like, 100% a Terry Gilliam movie. Like, and one of his last good ones, sadly. Um, yeah, I mean, I... I um. I like Terry Gilliam, but I'm not a, a big a fan as you are. I know that I know that just from knowing you for all these years, I know that you're a fan of his. And um, there are definitely yeah. a lot of uh, the the sort of mechanics of his filmmaking is very much on display in this movie. Like it has this frenetic sort of pace to it. There's a lot of these Dutch angles that he uses, where everything's like off kilter, and um, right. The dialogue is very te- Terry Gilliam esque too. I found right. Considering he didn't write it too, that that's interesting. Yeah, well, his directing style um, probably he probably. I mean, even though he didn't he didn't write it. Actually, this film. Let's, let's run through the particulars real quick because there's something interesting sure. about the writing. Uh, right, came out in 1995. Obviously directed by Terry Gilliam. Screenplay by David Peoples and Janet Peoples, his wife. Now, David Peoples, mm-hmm. he wrote the screenplay for Blade Runner and also The Unforgiven. I don't know if you knew that. No, I, I, I did not. I definitely didn't know about The Unforgiven. I know yeah. they had one. I don't remember one screen credits of anyone. I was like, oh, wow, I love that. Yeah, that's but pretty I didn't sick. know. Un- Unforgiven is another great movie. Yes. And Blade Runner, obviously, is one of the best films ever made. Exactly. I mean, it's a personal favorite of both of ours, I think. Yeah. And um, the film um, was inspired by uh, a short, a French short called La Jetée, written by a guy named Chris Marker. Which is uh, odd. Written by, yeah, by, by, and directed. And directed by Chris Marker. I don't. That's a weird. That's weird because that's not a French name. Yet the film was a. It's a French film. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, his name Chris should Marker. be like Pierre, a French guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Uh, another like reason this movie is uh, it, it's still pers- very personal. The Twelve Monkeys. I knew was inspired by La Jete. Uh, went back and saw La Jete. Which is a 20 minute black and white film that's all photographed. Yeah, that was very cool. And those images would make it, uh, would be kind of ingrained with the first few ISIS releases. I noticed that. There's some, yeah. And I have a tattoo of it on my left arm. I didn't know that. From, from, yeah, from the movie. Yeah, I got it like, fuck, I don't even remember, 2008, something. It's been on there for a while. 
I remember early ISIS stuff uh, when when Chris was in the band, like way back. You guys pulled a lot from films. You know, there was a lot of um, you know like samples and things like that that show up in some of the really early material you guys did. Yeah, well, that's one thing Turner, uh, Chris, and I really bonded on. Like we 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 loved we loved Twelve Monkeys and and David Lynch. Uh, Aaron and Chris were big Lynch fans, and so a lot of the early samples on Mosquito Control uh, are from Lynch films, I believe. When I moved to Boston, I'd never seen Twin Peaks, and so I was friends with Chris back in Connecticut, and I met up with him uh, when I moved to Boston. He was he was there a year before me, and he showed me Twin Peaks. Like I would just go to his dorm, and we'd hang out and watch Twin Peaks, like however long it took us to, to watch things, it was a couple of weeks, like on this shitty VHS. Um, so yeah, film was one of the things we bonded over. And this movie, especially me and Chris, really uh, took a, quite a shine to 12 Monkeys. Um, again, like, yeah, like Terry Gilliam's vision is on full display here. Everything is very fantastic and kind of trashy looking like the underground world of where of the future where Bruce Willis lives just feels very junky and, and thrown slapdash and thrown together. Um, like the suit he wears to go up on the surface looks very makeshift as does the time machine. Yeah. Um, it seems to be some sort of condom motif going on in both of those scenarios where Bruce Willis is just putting latex, uh, layers of latex over him. And the time machine kind of just looks like a, you know, <laughs> like looks a little sexual. Um, and then he gets to the 1990 and 96 and the, and the world still looks trashy and bleak. There's garbage everywhere, homeless everywhere. And uh, it's like an interesting parallel, <laughs> like where we are or where they were in 1996 and where it ends up. And it's just, it's really, uh, I like how he handled that. I, it was an in, interesting, visually interesting movie. I think every moment of this film is like packed with something to look at. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely his uh, his vision of the future, which is almost like, would you say that Terry Gilliam is the godfather of steampunk, you know, in some ways? <laughs> Like, this is like 12 Monkeys is like the steampunk Bible. Yeah, kind of. I mean, everything has like gauges on it, and there's like a very uh, mechanical uh, sort of vibe to all the sets and the set pieces. You know, there's like all the outfits, and there's a lot of equipment and gear and stuff like that in the film, in the future, in his version of the future. You know, that is, yeah, one, one thing I noticed was how, like, at the time, there was some very fresh and new and like you go back uh with you know uh, and i from 2020 to watch this film that's from 1995 it, it feels a li- it feels very of its like like dated like you've seen this a million times since then but not as good like yeah. this look this feel i can say like like steampunk like like something cool was taken and made into something that is i think fucking absurd but yeah totally you know steampunk is like terry gillian meets fucking tim burton or some shit <laughs> Really quick question, and I, I I don't know if did did Terry Gilliam direct the Nine Inch Nails movie, uh, film um, video. 
No, that was actually, I think Closer was directed by uh, David Fincher. Oh, okay, yeah. That also has like a steampunk gauges, you know, valves. Everything's like, uh, has these like kind of anachronistic looks to it with like a lot of equipment and gear and goggles and shit like that, you know? Right, yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, there's a lot like, Whereas everything in Contagion was practical and, and, and made sense. Like, this, this movie is just like, this just looks cool. Like, none of it makes yeah. any fucking sense. No, not at but all. But it looks, it, it looks aesthetically, it, it looks great. And you mentioned the Dutch angles. I noticed, like, in this film, like, um, when you get to the mental institution is when he starts to really, like, start to tilt his camera and do the weird angles. And then one thing I noticed watching it now is, like, Characters in the background in this movie, there's always something going on, someone doing something absurd or funny, or there's a lot of that going on. It's such a chaotic, frenetic like, energy to, to those scenes, or, or the scenes where, like, uh, when they're in Baltimore and, like, you know, like, in like, this like, kind of homeless area, if you look in the background, there's just so much going on. Yeah, that's something that I think is uh, is like a very typical thing for his movies. You know, there's always like background yeah. stuff going on. The cool well, thing about this trash. film is is the way that it uh, there's a lot of time slippage. Like, there's a statement in the movie when they talk about how oh well, time travel is not an exact science or something like that. And right when he ends up in uh, nineteen whatever ninety six or whatever I think whatever the first time travel bit was. He was supposed to be in it like four years later or something like that. And there's a lot of that. He ends up in, yeah. He ends up in 1990 when it's supposed to be 1996. And at one point he ends up in like 1917 in like the First World War. Yeah. And I remember watching it being like, this must have been an expensive scene to shoot. It kind of seems like it could be thrown away. But it comes back later in the movie when they take the bullet out of his leg. Yeah. It becomes a, a, a key plot point. And I was like, oh, that's why they can't cut it out. It, it, it's like little things like that. It's really well thought out. And I looked up the budget for this movie, and it was $29 million. And this looks like if you made it today, it would cost $60 million yeah, yeah, to pull totally. something like that off. There's no CGI or very little. Is it all like you're, what you're looking at is like built, they're set. That chair that Bruce Willis sits in, uh, and he speaks to that kind of ball of like TVs. That's all real. What you're looking at is real. That's what I, that's what I love about movies from this era. I mean, there's no very, there was. I mean, CGI technology wasn't nearly where it is today, so everything was like right. practical, practical, actually sets, you know, things like that, real, real makeup. Right when you know. when you see like that the the bear. Uh, roaming around Philadelphia or, and all that, you look, it's real. Yeah. The only notice CGI thing I noticed was the giraffes running across the bridge towards the end of the film looked a little, looked a little CGI. But other than that, like it's pretty, pretty all, I would say all practical effects yeah. and they look great. Uh, as, as dated as the movie or, or as old as the movie is, like it still looks good. And it has that, you know, like shot on film, practical effects look that, that that just doesn't exist anymore. Everything in movies like feels very o- over color corrected or too much reliance on CGI. I'm not against any of that stuff, but like 
when it's more seamless is when I enjoy it. Yeah, I think that um, if if you're going to create a character that's completely CGI, that's generally not a good idea. That never works out so well. But if it's a yeah, and it's you know, if it's a supplement right. to a practical effect, I think it's when it looks best. Yeah, like something like Mad Max Fury Road, where like all the stunts and everything is real, but it's like the background, the desert is where they're like touching things up, and you just you're you're not noticing it because you're focusing on the stunts and the action. Yeah, that was another great movie, by the way. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, I I, I, I was surprised how much I like it. Um, I mean, those movies are a lot of fun. Yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, but. Uh, Another thing, uh, uh, Brad Pitt in this movie, not quite a, a big star yet. He was just sort of on his way. And uh, I think he knocks it out of the park in this. I know Terry Gilliam didn't want him. He didn't want him for the part. I think the studio was kind of pushing him, to, pushing to cast him. I know Brad Pitt worked really hard, worked with doctors to get that sort of weird rhythm he has. And uh, he he was nominated for an Oscar for this. It's kind of a showy performance and flashy, but he's so funny. I think it's this. funny. Like every that, scene. I think it's funny he was nominated. Actually, he won a Golden Globe for this too. He won the Golden Globe. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and but I still think it has nothing to do with his acting abilities. I think it's because he's got like ripped abs and you know, like, <laughs> fucking good skin and his. Fucking cheekbones cut the light just the right way. I think it's gotten. I I I've just recently started liking Brad Pitt. Like I I can't stand a yeah. single fucking movie he's been in except for maybe three. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and guess this one seven and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I like him in all right. I liked him. I like him in this. I like him in seven. Kind of. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is his opus. I think he's amazing in that movie. You know, I totally agree. And I liked him in Fight Club because he was playing a figment ah, of someone's imagination. Like, he wasn't playing a real person. So it's okay right. that he was two-dimensional in that movie. Spoiler alert for uh, Fight Club. <laughs> right, well, yeah, the movie came out like 15 years ago, man. If you didn't know, see it by now, go, you know, it's your problem, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, I kind of feel Brad Pitt is more of a movie star to me than an actor for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been great in some things and laughably bad in others. There's some movie where he plays like an Irish guy. Oh, uh, are you talking about Snatch? No, he's actually funny in that. Yeah, but he's pretty funny in that. This is a more serious that. movie. Uh, this was like Harrison Ford. And Harrison Ford takes him in, but he's really like a member of the IRA or something. No, and I know he's what Irish accent. Yeah, is so fucking bad in that. Like, it, it's really laughable, or something like Meet Joe Black, where he's just there in the movie, like not really giving a performance. Terrible movie. He's really bad in it. Um, but a while yeah, back, every once in a while he sh- he shines. Yeah, something. I mean, more recently though, I think he's been really good. Like, I want to see Ad Astra that film. Oh, I definitely oh, want to see that. Oh, that's great. It's good. You seen? That's it? great. Yeah, I think it was my number five favorite movie of 2019. Okay. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely want to see that, and uh, I like the idea, the concept behind it. it's really cool. Um, it's good. There's like a couple great set pieces in that, but anyway. Yeah, but uh, I um, a while back, I think California 
came on uh, Netflix or one of the streaming services. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember back in the day watching it, trying to watch it, and um, and I was like, man, this sucks. Like, it was one of those <laughs> things where it was I was living in this house, and there was like a bunch of people that lived there, and it was a movie that someone rented, and we were all watching it, and I was kind of like halfway paying attention to it, and I was just like, yes, yeah, this, yeah. this is fucking garbage. And I hadn't seen Terrible. it since then. So this is like 20-something years later, and I'm like, all right, yeah, I mean, maybe this would be entertaining to watch this film mm. again, maybe for nostalgia purposes. And I could not even make it through the fucking movie, dude. It was so bad. It's terrible. Um, Unwatchable. And it's such a cast, yeah, such a cast of the time. Brad Pitt, Julia Lewis, David Duchovny. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it is laughably bad. I, I also haven't seen it in a long time. That seems like a movie when that came out that, that I would eat up at that time yeah. and even then i was like no nah, this is not good like yeah, he ruined a lot it. of like films like that and like like u-turn like i remember really loving that movie when it came out and i saw it recently and being like oh, this is kind of stupid um you know california seems like it'd be one of those movies like i immediately thought it was, it was dumb yeah it's terrible and uh and yeah i just i couldn't even finish watching it i was like man this is boring. yeah it's like i couldn't even make it through that film and Brad Pitt's pretty silly in that. I mean, I feel like he kind of ruined the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think you put anyone in that movie, it's still going to be bad, but he didn't help. Yeah. I, I, well, I think that I would have, it, it would have been workable if someone else played his role. But the movie in general was terrible. Hmm. It was a fucking awful yeah. piece of shit, I thought. I can't remember who directed that, but it's, it's like one of those generic dudes who, like, you know, just kind of turned out generic shit. I don't think he ever did anything cool. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, you know, Gilliam didn't really want him. But uh, I thought, he, I think he's great in this. He's really, really funny. He steals every scene that he's in. And um, then you have Bruce Willis, who was a huge star at the time, who wasn't really kind of known for, like, any having any sort of dramatic chops. And he's surprisingly really good in this i really liked him in this he, actually and i'm not a fan of his either you know right he's another guy like i mean guy hard's great of course you know he knocked that out of the park uh but like he doesn't have a lot of range as an actor it's not like he shows up in something you expect him to be great he'll show up in something good and he'll be fine in it but i don't think he ever elevates anything to more than what it what it what it is yeah and I, in I this agree. he's He's really great. Which is, I mean, you need to like you don't have a more perfect shaped head than I guess than Bruce Willis. So I think that's why he was cast. <laughs> because originally I was reading, um, Terry Gilliam wanted Nick Nolte for this part. Nah, nah, I don't think so. Yeah. Can you fucking nah. imagine? Oh God damn it! <laughs> He's yeah. just running around screaming the whole time. I like Nick uh, Nolte I, I, in I, certain I, roles though, but this wouldn't have been right for him. I don't think. No, not at all. It, it seems like a very, very odd choice. But Bruce Willis has to do a lot of, like, dramatic acting in this, and I think he pretty much pulls it off. There's a one scene where um, he's in the car, and they're listening to music. And that mm -hmm. was yeah. a scene where you really got um, a pretty deep appreciation for his ability to show emotion. I thought that that was, like, a great scene, man. Yeah, I agree. Uh, car scenes are usually pretty boring, too. Like, when people in cars talking, it's, it's tough to make them interesting. And 
and he does. There's also the element throughout the movie up until pretty much the end. You do wonder, like, is this really happening? Yeah. Is this all in this guy's head? Yep. And um, what's interesting, I watched with my girlfriend. She she remembered the ending being a lot more ambiguous. She hadn't seen it in like you know, 15 years or something like that. And she's like, oh, it's not ambiguous at all. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's all real. Yeah, definitely. And um, and that's what's there's a term for that, Cassandra, um, something or other, Cassandra syndrome. I think it's is what it's called. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a term where uh, it's essentially what we just described, where you don't, you're not sure if it's real or not, or if this person is convinced that it's real. Actually, I might look up the definition of it. I think, I think that's the term. I'm not sure, but yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Um. That I mean, because from the get-go, you think Bruce Willis could very well be insane. Like, like the world he's created in his head seems too bizarre to be real, and the way he acts in like the the, the, the 1990, 1996 seems very uh, crazy. So like, it, it could be all in his head, and then slowly kind of reveals that it's it, it's not. And Twelve Monkeys is really just a red herring. They really like are just had nothing to do with the end of the world, really. It was really just this uh, guy's assistant. Here we go. Uh, Cassandra's metaphor. Uh, Individuals who experience physical and emotional suffering as a result of distressing personal perceptions and who are disbelieved when they attempt to share the cause of their suffering with others. So, yeah. Hmm. That that's like that yeah it's Cassandra metaphor because of Cassandra uh, ah. you know being the she's part of uh, Greek mythology um, yeah anyway I want to get I don't get into that tangent but uh, <laughs> but yeah Cassandra metaphor has to do with that where and that's kind of like what a lot of these films they pull that that me- mechanism where there's a guy who is perceiving the world to be different than what's actually happening as a result of some kind of trauma or damage and no one believes him. Okay. Right. So there's that possibility in this film where you think that Bruce Willis, his character is like, uh, you know, he's insane or he, you know, whatever, he's in a coma or some shit and he's hallucinating this whole world. But I agree that at the end, I felt like it was for a definite real thing that was going on. Like he was an actual time traveler, you know, and there was like some dystopian future that he was, you know, coming back to try to prevent. Right. And they mentioned throughout the, uh, throughout the movie, he's like, I can't change what happened. I'm only here to look for the horde to find a cure. And then you had the last shot. Well, not the last shot of the movie. It was second to last, uh, where you see one of the scientists from the future on sitting next to the guy on the plane. And yeah. you think, okay, they eventually manufacture a cure and try to, you know, some somewhat of a happy ending, I, I, I guess. I like, I like the journey of, of of the doctor, where like you're supposed to like. I see the movie maybe through her eyes, where like you start. She thinks Bruce Willis is, is crazy. None of this is real, and then slowly things start to add up, and her paranoia grows. Like, yeah. Oh my! Like when they pull the bullet out, and it's from 1917 or or, or, or whatever year, and she finds that picture from her own book and in the background is Bruce Willis. And then she becomes roped into his world where, where it was the opposite before. And 
she she wants him to be crazy. She doesn't want all these people to die. Uh, but she's slowly realizing that he's not. Yeah. Well, I get. I guess like um, the the fact that they pull that World War One bullet out of his leg validates, you know, his story. You know. Right, and like, yeah, it, it becomes like this little thing became like a huge uh, plot point, and uh, I think this is good writing the way she just slowly comes around to his his point of view, and I love the bookend of the movie where it begins with him witnessing his own death, but not realizing it. And then in the end, um, him witnessing his own death and, and the doctor character, Madeline so character looks and realizes it. Uh, it's really a nice moment. Another cool, like the, we were talking when we were watching the airport in that movie, doesn't look anything like an airport. <laughs> like no, not at all. it just looks like a, like, it looks, like a, a, a you know a set in a, in a hangar somewhere, but again, I love it. I love that, that Terry Gilliam says, "No, we're not shooting in like a real airport. <laughs> no, we're gonna make this, you know, <laughs> this fucking really weird <laughs> kind of creepy airport." And um, you know, good casting too. That kid does look like a young Bruce Willis. I gotta yep. say, that was a that was a very a very good eye on Mr. Terry Gilliam there. Yeah, totally, man. And uh, yeah. The other, that's the other thing I really enjoyed about this film too is the fact of the, the way they play with memory and um, that's something that even it, it made me, it put me in this like mental state too when you start actually trying to remember how shit happens and how flawed the yeah. human memory is you know and they, and they touch yeah. on that a lot in this film they do and it's done subtly I like when his reoccurring dream uh, he sees Brad Pitt in it at one point because yes. he's now interactive with this guy and it's affecting his memory. Um, and then, you know, Madeline Stowe tells him it's never been me in the dream. It only is now because of what's happening. Um, that really, really nice touch. And that's one thing. Yeah. They, they mentioned several times, like Bruce Willis's character is smart. He has a good memory. He's, he's just smart and he's kind of like, you know, a bit like, you know, thuggish. You see him as kind of thuggish and insane, but you realize in the real world, the future, he's a, he's a smart guy. He's, he's violent. That's why he's in prison, but he's really smart. And I think it's also interesting to limit what you see in the, in the future setting of the movie. You only see the prison and like a hospital and like a questioning room. You don't see like what the rest of society is like. But well, it's mentioned, like, you get a pardon, women are going to want to know you. Yeah. <laughs> like, how normal is this, this society that they live in, in the future? Yeah, I mean, you just, you only, outside of the prison, you only really see, like, that when it goes to the surface. You know what I mean? You don't really right. see the actual uh, machinations and, of their society, you know? Right, and, um, I mean, that could have been a totally different movie. I thought it was smart to kind of keep it confined like that. Mm -hmm. Sort of like when you saw, like, the first Matrix. Yeah. You really think, like, it's just this band of survivors on a ship. And then you get to the second movie, and it's this whole, uh, you know, society who, who, who throw raves and shit, and it sucks. Um, I think limiting it to, to that was, was a, smart, a smart idea. And... Yeah, I love when he, the first time he goes up to the surface. And again, like, the world has ended, but it's really, 
business as usual on, on planet Earth for, for, for everything else. You know, there's still birds flying. There's still animals roaming around. There's bugs. Everything still exists except, except us. Which is how it would end up, actually. You know, like, that's, that's how, I mean, yeah. if you uh, really look at humanity's existence on this planet, like, there's been, like, we're only, we're only been existing on planet Earth for such a small fraction of the life of the planet. You know, it's just this blip, really. A moment. Right. In the entire lifespan of this Earth, you know, it's only just a brief moment that we've been here. Right, and, you know, our time on it as individuals, you know, e even briefer, and it's hard to wrap your brain around that. Yeah, like the concept of infinity and, like, cosmic distances and things like that is, like, unfathomable, really. Yeah, and it shows how little we really know about anything. Yeah. It's all just like, well, maybe this happened. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> so how and, do you uh, score this film on a scale of one to five? Uh, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. It, it's not perfect. There's some little flaws here and there. Um, if it came out today, I don't know that I would love it as much, but I, I give it a five. Yeah. This is, uh, again, one of my favorite films. Very impactful in, in, in my life. I'll give it a 4.5 because I, I, you know, I like the concepts. I like the acting. It's um, a rare occasion where two of the actors that I'm not really big fans of actually do a, you know, a job that I appreciate that where I, where I actually like them. You know, especially in the yeah. 90s, I thought Brad Pitt was like useless, really, for the most part. <laughs> it's a great way to describe someone. Yeah. You know, I, I never took him seriously. You know, I, I yeah. only recently started taking him seriously, like in the last maybe 10 years or so. You've come around to Brad Pitt. Well, yeah, I mean, what, you know, there's not much to him, really. You know, it's until now. I mean, you know, I, it, you know, I, I think he's it, good now. Now I like him, but for like a long period of time, there wasn't much to him. Sure. It's funny he's become the more interesting actor, whereas Bruce Willis has sort of devolved into doing these like, straight to like red box movies with like fucking like Gerard Butler and like fucking <laughs> dumpster Butler. casting people like that. <laughs> you know I didn't I mean? even know Bruce Willis still acted to be honest. I didn't even think he was like still doing movies. Yeah. Yeah. He'll pop up in something interesting every now and again. I don't know if you saw Looper. Yeah, I did actually. Yeah. That was a, came out a while ago though, but that was pretty good. Yeah. I loved that movie. I think that was my favorite movie that came out in whatever year it came out. 2015. Um, so yeah, every once in a while he'll do something good, but for the most part, it's just bullshit. You know, he'll pop up in like a Wes Anderson movie every, every now and again. You're like, Oh yeah, Bruce Willis. But Brad Pitt seems to have taken the more interesting turn and also doing more behind the scenes stuff. You know, like yeah. he won an Oscar before, um, once upon a time in Hollywood, his company produced 12 years of slave, oh. uh, which won best picture, uh, and best director, I believe. The year that came out, uh, okay. 2012 or something like that. So I think he's had the more interesting Hollywood career. And you know, he's 55 now and he's, you know, just won an Oscar. He seems to be going, you know, I think he'll continue to do cool shit. I loved him in, uh, in Glorious Passage too. Again, not like a movie star type role, more a character driven movie. And I thought he was really great in that. Yeah, I, I, that was uh, one of Tarantino's films I didn't really enjoy. The, I didn't enjoy the movie, and 
I, I didn't really. Really? Yeah, I wasn't into it really. Oh man! Until the Hateful Eight came along, that was my favorite Tarantino movie. Really? Yeah. Huh, interesting. Love it. Yeah. I, I was, was kind of lukewarm with that one. What did you think of Hateful Eight? I didn't like it really. Wow. Yeah. You know, it took me a while to come around to Tarantino in general because. I liked Pulp Fiction, but then like he started to creep out yeah. his personality a little bit more, and you're like, this guy's a fucking jerk off. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, I kind of turned off to him for a long time, but I, it took me a while, but I came around. I'm partial to uh, Pulp Fiction. Uh, Reservoir Dogs, I think, is a masterpiece. I love that movie. Yeah, I just rewatched that in the last six months or so. I, I agree. What a fucking perfect movie. Yeah, those two films, and I think a lot of it has to do with like when when they came out too. I think that I was yeah. like at the right age to really appreciate those movies, and um, you know, I was like in my like mid twenties or early twenties or something like that when those movies came out, and I was like, yeah, you know, just it's that kind of film that you know appealed to to me at that moment, and then, um, yeah, those two, and and I actually liked uh, Kill Bill. I thought the, the Kill Bill films were pretty cool. Um, they are they're lower on the list for me yeah and and i really uh, liked his entry into the grindhouse uh, that thing he did with um what the hell is the film he did it took place in texas um yeah uh, grindhouse um yeah his was death proof death proof yeah i thought that was yeah. cool wow yeah we were like on the polar opposite sides of things i hated that yeah um and uh loves loves it he's like uh newer stuff but, you know, you, you, Pulp Fiction came along and changed everything. That was like the movie. Every few years a movie comes out that everything's trying to be. And that was that movie for, uh, like, everyone wanted to do, like, witty gangster pictures. And then, yeah. you know, Seven came out. And then everyone, everyone had to have their dark serial killer movie with crazy credits. And, you know, then The Matrix comes out and everyone's chasing that, you know. Yeah. But Pulp Fiction, yeah, that was the... the, the uh, like that movie changed films for a while. It was a landmark movie, and for good reason. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I gave it gave a career back to John Travolta and Sam Jackson. Really, you know. Yeah, which John Travolta threw threw away <laughs> a <laughs> yeah. few years later. He's he's another one like Bruce Willis. Like only I think John uh, John Travolta has back to back black eyes with Gotti and The Fanatic. I don't know if you've seen either one. No, I didn't see it. Gotti is one of the worst pieces of shit I've ever seen. You wonder how it ever got made. And then the fanatic is directed by Fred Durst of Limp Bizkit fame. <laughs> oh my God. Really? Yeah. So I would actually recommend you watch that because it is so terrible that it's, that it becomes fun to like watch and like break down. Like, why is this happening? How <laughs> it's a uh, fascinating watch but it's, it's terrible on, on every level. Like it should be a career ender for everyone involved. You know what, uh, what Travolta was awesome in though, was, uh, that American crime story, uh, where in the OJ, about the OJ Simpson trial. Yeah. He was yeah, great. Yeah. That was the OJ Simpson thing, right? Yeah. yeah. I thought you were going to say, look, who's talking. But he was great in that too, man. <laughs> yeah. He is, uh, that, that OJ, uh, I thought that was going to be like a fiasco. Like, I was, this looks stupid. And it was one of the most 
entertaining things I've ever watched. Yeah, it was. I thought he was great in that. That was like uh, he played Robert Shapiro. That was awesome. And um, yeah, you know. uh, yeah, that was the that was really really fucking really good. And I watched the documentary about OJ right after that, like a nine hour documentary. I should check that out too. Has there yeah, any, been sure. anything else recently that you watched that's been cool or not cool <laughs> or to avoid? Maybe? Um, you know what? I just rewatched the curious case of Benjamin Button and I hated it. I could see that. And I remember liking it at the time. I was like, I love David Fincher, but watching it now. I'm like, this seems like something like Robert Zemeckis or Steven Spielberg should have done. Like, like the feel is just so wrong for, uh, for Fincher. It was just a total misfire from a director that I usually love. Um, but uh, what else did I read? I write down everything I watch. I've been cooped up a lot, so I've watched a lot of yeah. movies. <laughs> uh, recently, rewatched Dread, the Judge Dread movie. Oh, yeah. From, uh, a couple I years like back. One. That's a good one. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Uh, didn't think much about it after I saw it the first time, but on a rewatch, it's like this is kind of like The Raid, but you put Judge Dread. In, instead and uh, it was a lot more fun than I remember and uh, really really enjoyed it um, I finished uh, The Outsider I, I assume you did too yeah it's great I enjoyed it uh, definitely variances from the from the book but my only criticism oh, really? yeah I mean it's there's, there's certain things that are different you know like uh, I don't have to go into all the differences but like the um the, the one problem that I had was that I knew the story already when I was watching it, you know? And, right. Um, but I, mean, I still watched every episode, but and I enjoyed it. But there was no sense of drama because I kind of knew how everything played out. And I, you know what I mean? And uh, Right. Oh, it, no, totally. It was still enjoyable, though. I mean, it was it was um, on the same quality line, level as, uh, as, as um, True Detective first season, in my opinion. Yeah. I thought the first two episodes, I would totally agree with you. And it kind of dipped for me uh, after that. I felt it seemed unnecessarily drawn out to 10 episodes. I think they could have done it in eight. Um, it has a few Stephen King-isms that drove me crazy. Like the thing having a really silly name, like El Cuco. Well, that, that's from, uh, that's from uh, South American folklore. El, El Cuco. Right. El it it seems silly in this for some reason. Yeah. Okay. Um, the ending just kind of ended. I, I didn't hate it. I thought it was kind of cool. I thought they were going a much different way with the ending. Yeah. And when they didn't go that way, I was, because I thought the shapeshifter had become the detective mm-hmm. and that's why they were trying to get rid of, of spoilers. Uh, <laughs> they were trying to get rid of, uh, uh, traces of the shapeshifter and say, never mention the shapeshifter. I'm like, fuck, he's the shapeshifter. But he wasn't. That would have uh, been I an interesting nice. ending, I think. That would have been a good ending. Or at least make it like, I thought it was like going to be ambiguous, like Inception, you know, is this a dream, is it not? Mm-hmm. I thought that was going to, is this guy, you know, or Blade Runner would be better. Is he or isn't he a replicant? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I would give it a three out of, out, out of five. It was entertaining. I really wanted to eat that fried chicken in that scene where they're eating. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, you ain't kidding, man. Definitely. Oh, man. HBO has a way of, like, making me hungry. Like, I remember going through The Sopranos, and, like, I just wanted to eat, like, fucking Italian food for, like, three months straight. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> what about you, Mike? You seen anything cool? Um, or bad? Both, actually. But real quick about The Outsider, though. I think that's also one of the big criticisms people have in general with uh, Stephen King is his endings. Mm. You know, a lot of people don't like yeah. the way he ends any of his stories. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's funny because that gets brought up in It Chapter 2. Yep. Uh, the movie, which I don't know if you saw, but I fucking hated. Yeah, I wasn't that into it, really. The first one I thought it was, was really cool. bad. First one I enjoyed. Uh, I, I didn't hate it, but I didn't, I didn't like it. Uh, and the second one I, I just flat out hated. It was just abysmal. I don't know how you have a three hour movie where like nothing really happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Recently, but yeah, uh, a stronger ending for Stephen King. Yeah. I agree. Recently, I saw um, a, a, an Epics series. It's a BBC series, War of the Worlds. And it's, an, it's still going on right now. Actually, today's Sunday, so tonight the next episode's coming up. And, uh, War of the Worlds. Yeah, it's on Epics. And uh, I saw advertisements for it in the subway. And I was like... Eh, you know, how many times are they going to redo War of the Worlds? You know, there was that... Um, I was just thinking that myself. <laughs> there was a film that they made a few years ago, or, or actually quite a few years ago, with uh, uh, what's Tom, uh, Cruise, Tom Cruise, which was, wasn't so Ugh. great. And then I heard yeah, a podcast where they talked about the film itself and how it actually is very... They take a lot of license with the story. So I'm like, hmm, hmm. check this out. So I went to my Amazon account and I typed it in. And it turns up, you know, watch on your on Prime. Okay, so oh shit, so wow, I don't remember. I'm like, I don't remember uh, subscribing to Epics, but fuck it, you know, check this out. So I watched the first three episodes, totally great. And then I was gonna go to watch episode four, and it was like, subscribe to Epics and you know for a free seven day trial. And I was like, what the fuck, yeah. man? I got totally worked. <laughs> I'm like, I thought that. Yeah. Somehow I had gotten, like, it was part of some other subscription I had or whatever, you know what I mean? I was like, you motherfuckers, man, you got me. <laughs> and, uh, but, but I did, I subscribed because I want to see the rest of the series. And uh, oh. it's really good, man. And, I mean, I'm probably not going to hang on to the Epic subscription until this, when this is over with. But right. it's, it's pretty awesome. It's very, uh, very heavy, like emotionally heavy. Uh, very hmm. has this hopeless vibe to it. Has uh, a very dark atmosphere to it, and um, yeah, I'm like totally, I'm totally in on it. It's great. Oh wow, I'll have to check out. I got, like you. I was like, yeah, War of the Worlds. You've fucking seen it. You know, what what new can you add to it? But that sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, it's good. Um, one last thing. Oh, one last thing. I recommend to you, actually, uh, a Japanese film called Creepy. Oh, okay. Creepy. Um, directed, directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. Okay. Um, I'm sure we'll do something, or I'll talk about something of his in the, in, in the future. He directed one of my favorite movies of all time called Cure. Um, and this is, uh, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but it's sort of a thriller and uh, it's, it's called Creepy. It's sort of horror-related. Um, it's about the next-door neighbor might not be what he appears to be, basically, kind of movie. Wow. Uh, and it's really, really good. It came out a couple of years ago. It kind of came and went. I don't think American audiences really know Kiyoshi Kurosawa. If they know him from anything, it's from uh, a movie he directed called Pulse. 
that was remade here, uh, also called Pulse, but was uh, terrible. Wow, I just looked it up on uh, Amazon, and it's uh, it's streaming on Amazon. It's part of your part of my subscription to Prime. So yeah, I can watch it. Oh for free. shit! Yeah, yeah I highly recommend that. I think you're gonna like that one. Nice, right up your alley. Something well, uh, something that we th- talked about watching that we both watched. It was uh, Rabid, the remake. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I didn't get to it. All right. Okay. Uh, it was like you were just. Sh- I, I still have it saved, so I'm yeah. gonna watch it. We got to talk about. Like I haven't seen the original in, in a long time, so it's gonna be fun to watch those back to back. I watched it. Um, it's funny, man. Like there's. One one podcast I listened to called the Who Goes There podcast, they gave it a horrible review. And then uh-huh. another podcast that I listened to um, gave it a good review. And I was like... Oh, interesting. I'm like, yeah, you know, they went into the plot a little bit. And I was like, that sounds pretty cool. So let me take a chance. Because mm. I love the original. And I was like... Yeah. At, at first, I'm like, who the fuck remakes David Cronenberg, man? Come on. You know, you can't remake those yeah. guys' films. You know what I mean? He's like, it's a classic. So, yeah. And it was a total fucking piece of shit, man. It was awful. It was like the worst. It was like, I got to a point in the movie where I'm like, man, should I turn this off? I'm like, nah, I got to finish this. <laughs> oh, so man. That, like, at least I got something to talk about and I can say I saw it. And I was kind of like already <laughs> invested enough. I'd already yeah. invested aka wasted enough of my time to not see the end so right <laughs> i should have uh stuck uh, out i should have like stuck with the who goes there podcast um review but because uh, those guys usually are on the same page as me with movies and um sure yeah, they actually shouted me out uh, a couple episodes ago which is kind of cool you know oh nice yeah I was pretty, oh i'll have to uh, i'll have to get that. i'm gonna watch that tonight uh and, and listen to that podcast where it's if I still have a job tomorrow. Well, if you don't have a job uh, tomorrow, then you might have more time to watch, listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is, exactly. Uh, critics would seem to agree. Like, the movie, they see 52%, so it's kind of split down down the middle about how people feel about Rabbit. But uh, I feel like horror movies are like uh, are getting like really good reviews, and then I go and watch them, and they're terrible. Yeah, because <laughs> that seems to be happening fans to me a lot lately. Non-horror fans seem to be reviewing them, and it's like... You know, they they don't know what the I, fuck they're talking about, maybe. I, I just saw this movie, like, The Girl on the Third Floor or something. I saw it, too. I hated it. And yeah. it got great reviews. I didn't like it, either. Um, and the most puzzling thing is Neurosis' music is in that. And those guys are, like, so protective yeah. of their stuff. And it ends up in that. That was, that was confusing to me, but... Yeah. Actually... But that I, got great reviews. Steve Albini did the score for that. Did he? Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. I, I must have been sleeping during the opening credits or something. I saw that, and I was like, holy shit, Steve Albini, you know, was involved, you know? And, uh, I mean, you kind of get one thing from him, really. You know what I mean? So, yeah. He, he does that yeah. one thing he does really well, though, so. Yeah, I'm not exactly a diehard Albini fan. He's done some stuff I like. He's done some stuff that I think is not so good. And some bands he records sound great, and some, some not so much. But yeah, I kind of mixed I, for me. I'm mixed. I like. I mean, I love Big Black. I think Big Black was like, you know, they're they're yeah. like they're like Black Flag. Yeah. They're like a band that's like opened the doors for so much stuff afterwards. Like they created so many passage passageways into music. Um, 
yeah. I'm not I'm like a 50-50 shellac fan. Some of their stuff I really like, some of it I can, you know, it's like whatever. I don't hate it, but I don't I, love it. I feel like I stopped paying attention after the first three albums maybe. Yeah. But it's one of those things if it's on, I'm always like, oh yeah, shellac, I like it. You know, Rape Man's cool. I thought the Rape Man record was was kind of cool. Um but It was know. just a one and done thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was real a real drummer was in it. It was cool. You know, it was like an interesting little yeah. thing he did. Uh, the funny thing about um, Girl on the Third Floor, it it stars uh, CM Punk, uh, a former yeah. WWF uh, fight uh, wrestler who had a very brief uh, MMA career. And Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I feel like he might have been the best thing about the movie, like his acting. Like I think really, the, guy, the guy who's not really an actor to step up and do the do that role, I think he did a pretty good job. I, yeah, he's not great, but he's not terrible. But like, there's something off about and stilted about everything in that movie. Yeah, like the rhythm is just so off. It's not really well put together or directed. Or I, I was really found its high score on Rotten Tomatoes baffling. Yeah, it was yeah. not not good. But uh, maybe, maybe, we did uh, talk about two good movies, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so final thoughts, Mike. Are we, gonna, uh, are we all going to be alive in, in, in three months? Are we all fucking at the end of the world? I plan on being alive. You know, I don't, I don't yeah, see any I plan on Unless someone like, like jumps me in the subway and stabs me or something like that. I don't think, uh, I think I'm, I'm going to have every intention of being here in three months. So. All right. And well, yeah, hopefully... We'll see you out here with with, with napalm death in, in, that, in the near future. That on another hand, on the other hand, that might not happen. I mean, I'm not. I haven't gotten the official word that it's getting canceled, but everything else is getting canceled. Like the mayhem tours, done. Everything, you know. There was supposed to be a show today. Body Body Count was supposed to play in New York today, and that show got canceled too. Yeah. And sure. when you can scare Ice T away, you know it's serious. That's right, man. You know, you don't. That that's some real shit. If that you, that guy doesn't show up to, to do uh, the show, you know. I fucking love Ice T, man. But body count is just, oh man. Oh, I love it, dude. I'm so in, I'm down so into it. I, I I love body count. I love Ice T. I like all of his hip hop. I love body count. I think that stuff's great. His first few albums are class. Power, uh, Iceberg, all uh, all that shit. OG, Original Gangster. Yeah. I fucking fucking love it. Yeah, love totally. that shit. Awesome. All right, man. So, uh, you know, definitely take care of yourself out there, everyone. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll catch you guys next time around. All right. See you later, everyone.
state.